our in-house team of academics do have to write a lot of content. So this is something that happens when you create adaptive programs is that instead of writing, you know, 400 SAT questions for students to do, you need about 6,000. Welcome to the Future Podcast. My name is Greg Gunn, and I'm the producer of the show. Now, normally you'd hear Chris introduce the episode, and I might chime in with the timely quip, but the world has changed in the last couple of weeks. We're in the middle of a global pandemic, and at least here in Los Angeles, everyone is self-isolating and working from home, including us here at the Future. Now, I hope you are staying safe, healthy, and as sane as you possibly can be during these strange and scary times. Thank God for podcasts, right? Today's guest is the CEO of Everyday, an education company aiming to provide affordable, fun, and personalized learning to each and every student. As a former architect, MIT grad, and self-proclaimed systems thinker, she and her team are leading the race to create the world's smartest digital tutor and to bring families all over the world the custom-tailored education that they're looking for. If you're a fan of what we do here at The Future and our mission to change education, then you do not want to miss this episode. Please enjoy our conversation with Christine Utram. So the way I think about it is that we know a lot about teaching in classrooms and teaching face-to-face. You know, we have kind of hundreds of years of experience in this. And teachers know how to motivate students and they read the room um, and they adapt their lessons based on what's happening um, and also which students are in the room and and how they struggle and which students are good at things, which students are bad at things. When we shifted to online education, we did none of that. Um, All we did is we took content that from offline. So for instance, a lecture series, if there was 12 lectures in a course, all we did is put those 12 lectures online and we expected students to grind through that themselves. Um, Mm. and it was a big promise in education, you know, suddenly making all of the world's information free and wasn't, is going to be amazing. Everybody's going to get degrees in which whatever thing that they want to get. Um, and it just hasn't happened. And so only about 5% of people complete online courses right now. And I think we can do a better job. Um, so if the medium has changed, we have to design, change the design. Um, and so that's kind of what I think about. I think about how do we engage our students uh, more effectively? How do we get them coming back? Um, and how do we get them excited to learn on their own so that you have self-directed learning? Now, you're pointing out some things that I think, I think you're being very generous and I like that and very optimistic because you're talking about how when we teach in person, we change the material depending on how it's being received. And I think that's a hallmark of a really great teacher. But I've been in lecture halls before where it's just a train. The train starts at destination A and ends at destination B. And they could care less if you're sleeping on the floor or if you're writing notes or text messaging or whatever it is. They just could care less. And I think that's like a really good sign of a, a, a really great teacher. They're adjusting the content. They're asking questions of the room and they're reading the room, as you say. Okay, so I get that. So now if we could just put that as like a special category of teachers. All right. So that's mm-hmm. that's the benchmark. And when we go online, obviously there are some problems here because where are the faces of our students? 
How do they engage with us? And if we're just recording a video lecture, yes, you're right. That's just one kind of way of teaching. Probably not the most effective. And I myself have been in situations where I'm desperately wanting to learn something, but the way that that teacher's speaking to me right now, I'm falling asleep. I can't <laughs> stay awake. I'm do. I'm. I'm literally slapping myself in the face, like pay attention, and it's 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 killing me. Okay, so in in a technological way, like how are we able to read the room with virtual students? This is what's so exciting, um, and it's it's a vision that I think online educators have been talking about for a while, but it's now only possible. So what we've been working on is a truly adaptive system. Um, so pretty much if you came to us, uh, we would be able to diagnose your strengths and your weaknesses through a little diagnostic quiz. And we'd have an understanding of kind of where, where you're at in the classroom. From there, we can start to individually serve you either mini lessons or questions or content. And we keep adjusting that content as you're studying. So it's about kind of helping you maximize improvement in the minimum amount of time. The real goal here is that if I give you something to do online, you have a 70% likelihood of getting that correct. Because 70% is just hard enough to stretch you, but it's not so hard you want to quit. And every student's kind of level is going to be different. So that's where we kind of really have to intimately understand who you are through kind of data tracking and through your performance data in order to understand what we're going to give you next versus a one size fits none, you know, kind of linear process where we just, you know, take you from A to B and expect you to kind of get there yourself. So that's really the holy grail is wow. how do we start to adapt to you in real time? Mm. Um, just the way that excellent teacher would, just the way that excellent teeter, teacher or tutor who's working with you, you know, would, would say, oh, wait, you're struggling with this concept. Let me show you something else right now that will help you get that that then you can build on to do the next thing. So yeah, that's what we're working on. Okay, so let me understand this. You're using software and algorithm to match the learning style of the student to the course or curriculum. So if I understand that correctly, then the teacher must then create a lot of different content to teach the same material. Is that the case? That's right. So with Everyday, I mean, we're an online SAT um, math product right now. Uh, mm -hmm. We're looking to be the digital tutor in your pocket for all of high school. So that's kind of the expansion that we're going for so mm -hmm. that we can be kind of your digital companion um, for any course that you're doing. We don't have any live teachers in the product. It's all um, self-driven and digital. Uh, and that's exactly right. Like, you know, we we look at what your strengths and weaknesses are, and then we try and match what you need and teach you. Our in-house team of academics do have to write a lot of content. So this is something that happens when you create adaptive programs, is that instead of writing you know, 400 SAT questions for students to do, you need about 6,000 per course wow. in order to make it adaptive. Mm. Um, that's because you know, some students might struggle with something for quite a while, so we need to keep serving them um, the content so that they can actually get it right. Based on the, the survey that you, or the diagnostic quiz that you give students, what are the primary types of students? Like, can you put them in different buckets for me to understand the different types of learners? So it's less about the different types of learners and mm -hmm. it's more about their aptitude across a different set of micro skills. Um, so what we do is we take any course and we divide it up into these tiny little micro skills and each of those micro skills is weighted based on how important it is to other skills and then also how important it is 
based on your final exam and then your personal aptitude and what your goals are. So we kind of we're assessing kind of what your level of proficiency is across those micro skills. And then we can identify the gaps and start to fill those in. I see. And so then I can I assume then the software is also checking that initial analysis like, OK, we, we think you're this kind of learner. So we're weighting these questions this way. So we're going to serve you up the best content that's adapted to you. And maybe it's like it, it kind of it, it was like lower than my aptitude. And so then does it start to serve me different kinds of content? Yeah, that's right. So let's say you get something. There's a few different ways you can do adaptivity. Um, one of them is that it serves you different content. So, hey, you're not doing well with linear equations. Maybe that's because you don't have a good basis in this other fundamental skill. Let's go back and see how you're doing with that. Once you've mastered that, then let's come back to kind of those linear equations. That would be an example. Um, another way to adapt it is based on time as well. So if you and I are studying for the same test, but you start, you're a very studious student and you start, you know, kind of three or four months ahead of ahead of the test. Um, but I'm not very studious. I start only three weeks before the test. Then you and I should see fundamentally different content. And we should also see um, different suggestions on how much we should do every day. You might only need to do 10 minutes a day because you started four months before. I probably at three weeks before need to do, you know, at least an hour a day. Um, and you might also want to get a top score and I might not want to get a top score. I might be going to a, a university that doesn't require, you know, Ivy League status. Um, so for me, I don't need to know all those micro skills, whereas you better know all of them. Um, so it can adapt on a number of different levels based on what your goals are and, and you know, what your aptitudes are. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. It's very logical because if I have more time to study the same content, then I'll probably need less of it. And you're cram not that you're cramming, but say three weeks out, maybe <laughs> it's kind of that idea. So you need a lot more uh, in a short period of time and your goals are different. So do, that's right. Does each student state their goal before they, they enter into the program? They do. Um, we've spent a lot of time designing the onboarding for this product. And, you know, this is where, again, I think that it's a design task, the design of the experience um, and really starting to get these inputs. So we ask you um, things like, you know, have you taken the SAT before? What's your goal score? What's your dream school? You know, what's your kind of aspirational thing that you want to get out of this? Um, what what your previous scores are, how you've done when you're graduating? All of those questions kind of get inputted into your profile, which helps us then create your initial journey or study journey. Okay, so let me just sum this up. So I, it seems to me like your unique selling proposition here is your onboarding wizard that helps evaluate students, their goals, tailors content to them, and it's constantly checking against that. It's also using other methods of measurement to see like if this is working for you or not. Uh, this sounds fantastic to me. So this sounds <laughs> very superior to anything that's out there. I'd, I'd say there's other companies that are dabbling in this too. Okay. So we're not the only I'm not one. aware of them. I, I pretend they don't yeah. exist. I'm going to stick my head in the sand and say you're the only one. I okay. would love to. I would love to be the only <laughs> one, but there are other companies dabbling in this as well. I think the other key thing to what we do mm -hmm. is we see online content right now as, you know, these kind of one hour long sessions. Hey, watch this 30 minute video, then try these problems. We break everything into 10 minute micro lessons. We know that teenage attention spans are short. Um, and we know that teenagers are quite frankly, really, really busy. Um, we surveyed our students and they only sleep six hours a night. They have excessive amounts of homework. Um, they have extracurriculars, they have family activities and they just, 
quite honestly don't have time to study. Um, so we broke everything into 10 minute micro lessons, which gives you small sense of achievement every time you complete something. And it also allows us to kind of more easily do that adaptivity. So I think that's really resonating with parents because parents don't want to drive across town and, you know, put you in a three hour prep course on a Saturday and right. kids don't do that either. So, you know, it's kind of adapting to where they are. Mm -hmm. So do you have metrics now of like the kinds of progress that you're making with students who have gone through your program? Starting to, yeah. So we also have this thing called the readiness score. Um, and it's basically a proprietary way of understanding how ready you are for the exam on exam day. Um, so you unlock it after your first 16 little challenges. And then the idea is to get to kind of, you know, 100% ready. Uh, we're seeing students improve. Um, so we're seeing them kind of come in, do in some cases, just a couple of challenges a day. In other cases, as they get closer to the exam, more. Um, and, you know, they see their number tick up. So definitely kind of getting to that academic um, efficacy. Mm, okay. All right. So I, I have a bunch of questions for you now, now that I understand what you're doing. And, and this is wonderful because I think there are some educators who listen to our program. And in light of what's going on, just kind of contextualize this. I think we're all learning about the importance of distance-based learning. And, and not just because of the virus that's going around, but I, I just think this is the future. It's more accessible. We're using technology to expand and scale. Um, just probably, in my opinion, if the best teachers should be the ones teaching and not everybody should be teaching. And this is a way for us to expand our reach. Okay, I want to hear now about your story. Like what, what motivated you from going from being a designer to an architect and doing all the crazy cool stuff that you do into, into what you're doing now? I mean, I really am fascinated by solving just big problems. Um, and I think I always have been. <laughs> and the kind of two threads in my career is definitely tech and design. Um, I started out as an architect, uh, honestly, because my brother thought I would be good at it. So <laughs> that's what I went and did. And for those who have that training, you know, you know that it's one of the best combinations of left brain, right brain. Um, you really become a systems thinker because you have to understand how the building's going to stand up. But at the same time, it's about creating a vision and it's about understanding how that building sits in the landscape amongst other buildings and combining those and, you know, having the skill to think in 3D was honestly the best training I've ever had. But the thing that always frustrated me with architecture was that it took too long to build anything. Um, if anyone who's in that industry knows that it's a lot of red tape and it's hard to get the building out there. It's, you can't change the building once it's out there either. Um, so I was, I was lucky enough, as you can probably hear, I'm Australian and I did my architecture degree in Australia. And then I was lucky enough to come to the US and do two years more research at MIT around design and cities and smart cities and it's where I really got introduced into, you know, the tech world. And the iPhone came out at that time as well. Um, and I was like, wait, wait, this thing's really cool. Um, not only can we put something out there that people can use, but we can, our in-house team of academics do have to write a lot of content. So this is something that happens when you create adaptive programs, is that instead of writing, you know, 400 SAT questions for students to do, you need about 6,000.
and welcome to the Future Podcast. My name is Greg Gunn, and I'm the producer of the show. Now, normally you'd hear Chris introduce the episode, and I might chime in with the timely quip, but the world has changed in the last couple of weeks. We're in the middle of a global pandemic, and at least here in Los Angeles, everyone is self-isolating and working from home, including us here at the Future. Now, I hope you are staying safe, healthy, and as sane as you possibly can be during these strange and scary times. Thank God for podcasts, right? Today's guest is the CEO of Everyday, an education company aiming to provide affordable, fun, and personalized learning to each and every student. As a former architect, MIT grad, and self-proclaimed systems thinker, she and her team are leading the race to create the world's smartest digital tutor and to bring families all over the world the custom-tailored education that they're looking for. If you're a fan of what we do here at The Future and our mission to change education, then you do not want to miss this episode. Please enjoy our conversation with Christine Utram. So the way I think about it is that we know a lot about teaching in classrooms and teaching face-to-face. You know, we have kind of hundreds of years of experience in this. And teachers know how to motivate students and they read the room um, and they adapt their lessons based on what's happening um, and also which students are in the room and and how they struggle and which students are good at things, which students are bad at things. When we shifted to online education, we did none of that. Um, All we did is we took content that from offline. So for instance, a lecture series, if there was 12 lectures in a course, all we did is put those 12 lectures online and we expected students to grind through that themselves. Um, Mm. and it was a big promise in education, you know, suddenly making all of the world's information free and wasn't, this going to be amazing. Everybody's going to get degrees in which whatever thing that they want to get. Um, and it just hasn't happened. And so only about 5% of people complete online courses right now. And I think we can do a better job. Um, so if the medium has changed, we have to design change the design. Um, and so that's kind of what I think about. I think about how do we engage our students uh, more effectively? How do we get them coming back? Um, and how do we get them excited to learn on their own so that you have self-directed learning? Now, you're pointing out some things that I think, I think you're being very generous and I like that and very optimistic because you were talking about how when we teach in person, we change the material depending on how it's being received. And I think that's a hallmark of a really great teacher. But I've been in lecture halls before where it's just a train. The train starts at destination A and ends at destination B. And they could care less if you're sleeping on the floor or if you're writing notes or text messaging or whatever it is. They could care less. And I think that's like a really good sign of a a, a really great teacher. They're adjusting the content. They're asking questions of the room and they're reading the room, as you say. Okay, so I get that. So now if we could just put that as a special category of teachers. All right. So that's Mm -hmm. that's the benchmark. And when we go online, obviously there are some problems here because where are the faces of our students? How do they engage with us? And if we're just recording a video lecture, yes, you're right. That's just one kind of way of teaching, probably not the most effective. And I myself have been in situations where I'm desperately wanting to learn something, but the way that that teacher's speaking to me right now, I'm falling asleep. I can't <laughs> stay awake. I'm do. I'm sl- I'm literally slapping myself in the face, like pay attention, and it's it's. It's killing me. Okay, so in in a technological way, like how are we able to read the room with virtual students? 
this is what's so exciting. Um, and it's it's a vision that I think online educators have been talking about for a while, but it's now only possible. So what we've been working on is a truly adaptive system. Um, so pretty much if you came to us, uh, we would be able to diagnose your strengths and your weaknesses through a little diagnostic quiz. And we'd have an understanding of kind of where, where you're at in the classroom. From there, we can start to individually serve you either mini lessons or questions or content. And we keep adjusting that content as you're studying. So it's about kind of helping you maximize improvement in the minimum amount of time. The real goal here is that if I give you something to do online, you have a 70% likelihood of getting that correct. Because 70% is just hard enough to stretch you, but it's not so hard you want to quit. And every student's kind of level is going to be different. So that's where we kind of really have to intimately understand who you are through kind of data tracking and through your performance data in order to understand what we're going to give you next versus a one size fits none, you know, kind of linear process where we just, you know, take you from A to B and expect you to kind of get there yourself. So that's really the holy grail is wow. how do we start to adapt to you in real time? Mm. Um, just the way that excellent teacher would just the way that excellent teacher, teacher or tutor who's working with you, you know, would, would say, oh, wait, you're struggling with this concept. Let me show you something else right now that will help you get that, that then you can build on to do the next thing. So, yeah, that's what we're working on. Okay, so let me understand this. You're using software and algorithm to match the learning style of the student to the course or curriculum. So if I understand that correctly, then the teacher must then create a lot of different content to teach the same material. Is that the case? That's right. So with Everyday, I mean, we're an online SAT um, math product right now. Uh, mm -hmm. We're looking to be the digital tutor in your pocket for all of high school. So that's kind of the expansion that we're going for so that we can be kind of your digital companion um, for any course that you're doing. We don't have any live teachers in the product. It's all um, self-driven and digital. Uh, and that's exactly right. Like, you know, we, we look at what your strengths and weaknesses are and then we try and match what you need and teach you. Our in-house team of academics do have to write a lot of content. So this is something that happens when you create adaptive programs is that instead of writing, you know, 400 SAT questions for students to do, you need about 6,000 per course wow. in order to make it adaptive. Mm. Um, that's because, you know, some students might struggle with something for quite a while. So we need to keep serving them um, the content so that they can actually get it right. Based on the, the survey that you or the diagnostic quiz that you give students, what are the primary types of students? Like, can you put them in different buckets for me to understand the different types of learners? So it's less about the different types of learners and mm -hmm. it's more about their aptitude across a different set of micro skills. Um, so what we do is we take any course and we divide it up into these tiny little micro skills and each of those micro skills is weighted based on how important it is to other skills and then also how important it is based on your final exam and then your personal aptitude and what your goals are. So we kind of, we're assessing kind of what your level of proficiency is across those micro skills, and then we can identify the gaps and start to fill those in. I see. And so then I can I assume then the software is also checking that initial analysis, like, okay, we, we think you're this kind of learner. So we're weighting these questions this way. So we're going to serve you up the best content that's adapted to you. And maybe it's like it, it kind of it, it was like lower than my aptitude. And so then does it start to serve me different kinds of content? 
Yeah, that's right. So let's say you get something. There's a few different ways you can do adaptivity. Um, one of them is that it serves you different content. So, hey, you're not doing well with linear equations. Maybe that's because you don't have a good basis in this other fundamental skill. Let's go back and see how you're doing with that. Once you've mastered that, then let's come back to kind of those linear equations. That would be an example. Um, another way to adapt it is based on time as well. So if you and I are studying for the same test, but you start, you're a very studious student and you start, you know, kind of three or four months ahead of, ahead of the test. Um, but I'm not very studious. I start only three weeks before the test then you and I should see fundamentally different content. And we should also see um, different suggestions on how much we should do every day. You might only need to do 10 minutes a day because you started four months before. I probably at three weeks before need to do, you know, at least an hour a day. Um, and you might also want to get a top score and I might not want to get a top score. I might be going to a, a university that doesn't require, you know, Ivy League status. Um, so for me, I don't need to know all those micro skills, whereas you better know all of them. Um, so it can adapt on a number of different levels based on what your goals are and, and, you know, what your aptitudes are. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. It's very logical because if I have more time to study the same content, then I'll probably need less of it. And you're cramming, not that you're cramming, but say three weeks out, maybe it's kind of that <laughs> idea. So you need a lot more uh, in a short period of time and your goals are different. So do, that's right. does each student state their goal before they they enter into the program? They do. Um, we've spent a lot of time designing the onboarding for this product. And, you know, this is where, again, I think that it's a design task, the design of the experience um, and really starting to get these inputs. So we ask you um, things like, you know, have you taken the SAT before? What's your goal score? What's your dream school? You know, what's your kind of aspirational thing that you want to get out of this? Um, what what your previous scores are, how you've done, when you're graduating, all of those questions kind of get inputted into your profile, which helps us then create your initial journey or study journey. Okay, so let me just sum this up. So I, it seems to me like your unique selling proposition here is your onboarding wizard that helps to evaluate students, their goals, tailors content to them, and it's constantly checking against that. It's also using other methods of measurement to see like if this is working for you or not. Uh, this sounds fantastic to me. So this sounds... <laughs> very superior to anything that's out there. I'd, I'd say there's other companies that are dabbling in this too. Okay. So we're not the only I'm not ones. aware of them. Uh, I pretend they don't yeah. exist. I'm going to stick my head in sand and say you're the only one. I okay. would love to I would love to be the only <laughs> one, but there are other companies dabbling in this as well. I think the other key thing to what we do mm -hmm. is we see online content right now as you know, these kind of one hour long sessions, hey, watch this 30 minute video, then try these problems. We break everything into 10 minute micro lessons. We know that teenage attention spans are short um, and we know that teenagers are quite frankly really, really busy. Um, we surveyed our students and they only sleep six hours a night. They have excessive amounts of homework. Um, they have extracurriculars, they have family activities and they just quite honestly don't have time to study. Um, so we broke everything into 10 minute micro lessons which gives you small sense of achievement every time you complete something. And it also allows us to kind of more easily do that adaptivity. So I think that's really resonating with parents because parents don't want to drive across town and, you know, put you in a three hour prep course on a Saturday and right. kids don't do that either. So, you know, it's kind of adapting to where they are. Mm -hmm. So do you have metrics now of like the kinds of progress that you're making with students who have gone through your program? Starting to. Yeah. So we, also have this thing called the readiness score 
Um, and it's basically a proprietary way of understanding how ready you are for the exam on exam day. Um, so you unlock it after your first 16 little challenges. And then the idea is to get to kind of, you know, 100% ready. Uh, we're seeing students improve. Um, so we're seeing them kind of come in, do, in some cases, just a couple of challenges a day. In other cases, as they get closer to the exam, more. Um, and, you know, they see their number tick up. So definitely kind of getting to that academic um, efficacy. Mm, okay. All right. So I, I have a bunch of questions for you now, now that I understand what you're doing. And, and this is wonderful because I think there are some educators who listen to our program. And in light of what's going on, just kind of contextualize this. I think we're all learning about the importance of distance-based learning. And, and not just because of the virus that's going around, but I, I just think this is the future. It's more accessible. We're using technology to expand and scale. Um, just probably, in my opinion, if the best teachers should be the ones teaching and not everybody should be teaching. And this is a way for us to expand our reach. Okay, I want to hear now about your story. Like what, what motivated you from going from being a designer to an architect and doing all the crazy cool stuff that you do into, into what you're doing now? I mean, I really am fascinated by solving just big problems. Um, and I think I always have been. <laughs> and the kind of two threads in my career is definitely tech and design. Um, I started out as an architect, uh, honestly, because my brother thought I'd be good at it. So <laughs> that's what I went and did. And for those who have that training, you know, you know that it's one of the best combinations of left brain, right brain. Um, you really become a systems thinker because you have to understand how the building's going to stand up. But at the same time, it's about creating a vision and it's about understanding how that building sits in the landscape amongst other buildings and combining those and, you know, having the skill to think in 3D was honestly the best training I've ever had. But the thing that always frustrated me with architecture was that it took too long to build anything. Um, if anyone who's in that industry knows that it's a lot of red tape and it's hard to get the building out there. And it's, you can't change the building once it's out there either. Um, so I was, I was lucky enough, as you can probably hear, I'm Australian and I did my architecture degree in Australia. And then I was lucky enough to come to the US and do two years more research at MIT around design and cities and smart cities. And it's where I really got introduced into, you know, the tech world. And the iPhone came out at that time as well. Um, and I was like, wait, wait, this thing's really cool. Um, not only can we put something out there that people can use, but we can see how they're using it. We can adapt it. We can change it. It had a much faster iteration cycle. And that was something that that really excited me. Um, so, yeah, that, that led me there. And I've just kept building ever since. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So now I have uh, some some questions about just the business and you and your role. I see that you're the CEO of the company. How are you able to do this? I mean, how many people do you employ? Did you get funding? I want to hear this whole origin story of how Everyday came about. Honestly, it's a fantastic story. Um, at least I think so. <laughs> so I was at a previous company called Dog Vacay um, in LA, and this was a startup. It got sold to Rover.com, um, and so I was. You know, they shut the LA office down because Rover's based up in Seattle. And I was just freelancing with a bunch of people. And I met somebody who I had actually been introduced to about five years before via email because we both kind of share a passion for education, but we never actually managed to connect. Um, and this guy is a guy named Chad Troutwine. And he had started a company called Veritas Prep. So Veritas Prep was the largest privately owned test prep and admissions consulting company. 
in the world, uh, very successful. And Chad had been thinking for a long time about how to do online learning um, and also his business partner, Marcus. And they'd done a lot of traditional in-person tutoring, in-person classes, and he'd gotten introduced to me and actually asked me to come in and do a design thinking workshop for them around how to conceptualize this new product that they wanted to do um, around kind of self-directed learning. So I came in and as sometimes happens when you're freelancing, you know, you do kind of a workshop and then they're like, wait, can we hire you? And you're like, no, I'm not ready yet. And they're like, no, really? And you're like, okay, I'll do freelance. And then I did three weeks freelance with them, realized what an incredible team they were and ended up staying and building out um, a product called Orion, which was also an adaptive learning product. Fast forward to 2018 and Veritas Prep got sold. Um, but there was one piece of the business that we didn't sell, and that was some of the algorithms we've developed for the adaptive learning um, program. At the time at Veritas Prep, I was the chief product officer, uh, but then Chad was like, look, let's spin out a new company. Um, and I think it's time for you to step into that CEO role. Uh, so he became chairman and I became CEO and we started every day. Beautiful story. Okay, so <laughs> you've been running since 2018 or that's when you guys started? So we sold at the end of 2018, Veritas Prep. So we started every day in the start of 2019. We took a little bit of time to figure out which market we wanted to go into. Um, we'd previously worked with the GMAT, so the exam to get into business school. That was, you know, pretty much our bread and butter. And we got very good at that. But we, it's a small market. Um, not that many people take the exam. So we were thinking, okay, how can we take this technology, have a much bigger impact? And that really is high school and helping students not only get from ninth grade through to 12th grade, but also from 12th grade into college or career. Um, so it's very expensive right now for most families um, to help their kids. Most kids need help, but only about 15% of families can afford tutoring or supplementary education. So there's this massive gap between the haves and the have-nots. Um, and we're seeing this kind of in test scores as well. So we want to take technology and use it to create an affordable product that can, you know, be your companion throughout all those four years and, and you know, help you in a really personalized way. Um, and that's the goal. So affordable, fun, dare we say fun, <laughs> education can be fun, <laughs> and affordable, fun, and then also, um, you know, personalized to each student. Mm. Um, it, it, how do you guys structure your fees? Is it monthly? Is it a flat fee? How does this work? Uh, from $19 a month. And then we also have a yearly um, subscription as well. So for $99. That's for our SAT math program. Mm, okay. That sounds pretty affordable. So yeah. $99, you save some money if you sign up for the year. Definitely. Quite yep. a bit, actually. Right now, though, I mean, because of COVID-19 um, and, you know, a lot of people kind of are transitioning online, mm -hmm. we are actually giving every day for free um, for anyone who signs up now uh, with a an incentive of a chance to win $500 as well um, if you are a regular study studier. So we have a little giveaway going on right now. Okay. Do I need to do uh, punch in any special code or just go to the site? Win 500. Um, but if you win go to the 500. site, there'll be a little banner on the top as well, which will give you that code too. Okay. So for everybody who's listening, what is the website address? Everyday.com. And that's spelled with D-A-E, not D-A-Y. So you guys got that? So everyday spelled E-V-E-R-D-A-E dot -E com. And the code to win 500 is 
win 500? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Hey, Greg Gunn from the future here. That's right. It's me again. Now, the future's mission is to teach 1 billion creatives how to make money doing what they love without feeling gross about it. Now, maybe you're in school, but you feel like you're not getting what you need. Or maybe you're like me and sold all of your internal organs to pay for private art school tuition. But, you know, it's been a while and you want to sharpen up some of those skills. Well, fortunately for you, we have a bunch of courses and products designed specifically to help you become a smarter and more versatile creative. Design courses like typography, logo design, and color for creatives go deep into the design fundamentals that you need to know and command in order to be successful. Check out all of our courses and products about learning design by visiting thefuture.com slash design. Welcome back to our conversation with Christine Utram. Uh, how active is your student body right now? We have a bunch of super users. Um, mm-hmm. So these are people who come in and do at least two or three challenges a day. Um, each challenge is designed to be about seven minutes long. Um, so, you know, kind of those tiny bite-sized pieces. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's surprising actually looking into our user base. We're skewing younger than I thought we would. It's not just people who are taking the SAT exam. Um, it's people who are just wanting to get better at math and wanting to prepare themselves for even the PSAT exam, which is, you know, the pre-SAT. Yep. And, yeah, so it's, we even have some middle schoolers in there <laughs> who love us as well. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. One of the things we noticed in our very initial pilot is that we texted people every day and said, hey, there's a new challenge and that increased our engagement rates to about 70% of people in the pilot program actually doing a challenge every day, oh. which was quite impressive numbers, but a very short period of time and you know, quite a small group. So we've just launched text message reminders um, now, not only to students, but a large proportion of our students also connect their parents as well, um, give us their information. So we like to keep the parents informed also. So if your student is doing well, we'll let you, we'll let you know. <laughs> And, you know, kind of create that connection so you can cheer them on. Um, That's great. But we're tracking the engagement numbers now of that new text message feature. Mm-hmm. And we should have that within a couple of weeks, some of the early data. Mm. So it sounds like you're you're doing all the right things. You're, you're creating micro courses or lessons that are for the ever forever the shrinking attention span of people these days. It's It's like the Twitter version of learning. So it's getting shorter and shorter so that people can actually do it. And I think that's, um, it really ties into this idea of accomplishment because I feel like I got something done. And if I knock out one module, no matter what, it's like I could check that off my list. And that you're also speaking in their language by text messaging and gamifying some of this process. And you're also giving parents some transparency into what's going on with reporting. And that probably eases a lot of the minds of parents who are concerned like, is Johnny or Mary getting any of this? Or are they even doing it? Because we see them in their room, but we have no idea what's happening. So that, right. that's pretty awesome. Okay, so here's a pivot for you. If I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, okay, I'm in the creative space. This is kind of a large part of our audience. Can the ideas that you're sharing about adaptive learning be applied to things that are non-linear in term, or non-binary, I should say, where 
there isn't a right or wrong answer. It, like it's like I want to design a logo and I want to teach a course on logo design. How do I use adaptive learning or what you've learned thus far to increase uh, the engagement and also the results of what people are doing? That's a fantastic question. Um, it's something we've been thinking about as well as we move beyond the SAT, um, because we will start to get into courses that, for instance, U.S. history. I mean, there are some right and wrong answers there, but there's also some interpretation um, and, you know, some free form kind of writing uh, that might come through. So applying it to design is is fascinating. I wonder whether and I'm just spitballing here because I haven't actually <laughs> thought too much about this, mm-hmm. but. I wonder, you know, we do have some kind of rules of thumb, I think, when it comes to design and kind of how we approach things. I think there's some process-oriented things as well, for instance, and many people have many different processes. So what I would probably do is I would start to unpack some of the process that we do, for instance, exploring previous things that other people have done or... um, thinking about the constraints that we have when we come to a design problem. And it would be less for me about, hey, this is, you know, this is exactly what you have to do. This is the right and wrong answer in a multiple choice, you know, (laughs) pick A. And more about, have you gut checked some of the questions that may help your own design process? Um, So it could be more process oriented. I mean, one of the things that I say constantly when I'm working with our designers and when I'm designing things for myself here is when you design a web page or any page, I ask three questions. I'm like, what's the primary thing you want someone to do on this page? What's the primary thing you want them to understand? And what's the primary thing you want them to feel? And it's a great kind of shortcut to evaluate your own work um, because you can be like, hey, you know, am I really getting this feeling across? And, you know, you can ask other people, what do you feel once you see this web page or once you see this app design or anything else? Um, you know, what is what do you think the thing is I want you to do? What do you what do you understand if you walk away halfway through? And so that to me is kind of a process oriented thing. And we could probably use some sort of adaptivity to understand whether people are understanding that process. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's a very clear answer. (laughs) (laughs) So you're saying there's still some work to be done here. Still some work to be done here. Yes, because I'm very excited about this, but I'm just trying to connect dots for people who are listening because uh, my community is mostly creative and the ideas are wonderful. If we can find out the learning style or the speed or the aptitude of our student and tailor our content to them, that would be an amazing first giant step. Yeah, maybe it's not about the actual practical process of designing. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe it's about the learning aspect. And, you know, for instance, if you study typography, there are certain things that you should probably read and probably do and probably understand. Um, And so it's about how do you kind of build your embodied knowledge before you go off and try it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I definitely could see some adaptivity in that, um, in some of the, you know, texts that, we read that are fundamental to kind of our design practice um, and our design education. Okay. All right. Uh, So I I, I guess the reason why I asked you this question earlier about the learning styles, because that's how I interpreted your, your, uh, the, the onboarding quiz is because I've, I've been teaching for a number of years and I've 
kind of come to figure out that there are three types of students, especially when it comes to design, okay? And I may be simplifying this a little bit, but the first type of student is the one that you just tell them what the high level thing is. Like they read the table of contents and they, they understand the book from the table of contents. So we'll, we'll call that like type one learner. Mm -hmm. The type two learner needs to hear a story, a fable or something like that. And through the story, they can extract their own meaning from it. So if you tell them the table of contents, it's not going to work. But if you tell them a story, they'll insert themselves. And we'll call that type two. And the third type of learner is one It's like, I don't care what you say. I don't care about the story because every learning experience is unique and individual and I'm an individual. I need to do it. So they need to, they're kind of these kinesthetic style learners where they just need to get their hands into something. And it was a surprise to me at the time, not so much today, when I pulled my class and I gave them some examples and I was shocked to discover almost all of my students, a big majority, was the type three learner. Now, it was a shock to me because I'm a type one learner, so I was teaching them my style, and I was like, why can't they understand this? I just, what is <laughs> so wrong with me? Yeah, yeah it's, so, it's so easy. I just told you like this and just go do it. Uh, and it's then no surprise to me that a lot of art and design education is uh, design a house. And then you find out what the problems are or, or design a logo or a brochure. And then through doing it and critiquing, and they start to adjust and they start to learn that way. I love this idea. I love this insight. Um, firstly, I mean, you've obviously been teaching for a long time, so you have, you know, that, that kind of understanding of students. And I love this idea that we can adapt the style of teaching to those different students. We talk a lot about productive struggle in education, uh, which is where it's not just watch and regurgitate. You know, there's a lot of stuff on the web, which is like, watch what I do now do it. And, you know, we call that watch and regurgitate. Uh, versus productive struggle where you give someone the framework, but then you let them go and, you know, get through it themselves. And I could definitely see, even through those kind of top types of learners that you've just identified, that we could start to differentiate the style in which we, you know, kind of give lectures and which we teach. Fascinating. Yeah, because the, the analogy is like, we, we all theoretically learn to ride a bicycle. And it's not that we did it through reading a manual about how to ride a bicycle mm -hmm. or sitting in a classroom watching other people ride bicycles. It's get on the bicycle, fall a couple of times, and you learn it forever, right? But then we continue to teach the first type, the first two types, and it's just it's kind of messing my brain up. So once I came <laughs> to this realization, and I'm I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it didn't come to me until much later in my teaching career, like, oh my gosh, this is what's happening. I started to design all my teaching materials to hit all three types. You're one of those amazing teachers. <laughs> <laughs> I try to be. I'm not saying that I am. Where I say, okay, here's the big idea, you guys. Let me tell you a story about this thing. <laughs> and now I want you to do something. And then they right. would do that. So, you know, there's hybrid learners. So they, they touch a little bit of story. They kind of want to know where they're going. But then ultimately, the best type that I've figured out in terms of ways of learning is they got to get their hands dirty. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, in every day, we actually don't give you much instruction up front. We just throw you in there um, with the idea that if you're struggling, we can then identify that and give you a helping hand. But it, there's something amazing that happens in the brain when you just go in and try something. You know, you really are kind of um, connecting these pathways that you can then reaccess next time that you're doing it versus if you're just simply following the instructions or copying, then, you know, 
we know that that doesn't actually get you very far in the creative process. It doesn't allow you to kind of get to those breakthrough moments where, you know, you're, you have that aha uh-huh and things just click into place. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I have a, I want to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask you a personal question. Is that okay? okay. Yeah. Okay. How were your SAT scores? <laughs> well, I'm Australian, so I didn't do the SAT. <laughs> oh, you didn't? Oh, you, you get to no. escape on this question, huh? <laughs> great, great escape, right? <laughs> um, we had we had a similar exam. Um, okay. I, I fell into that category probably of trying to memorize and wrote and cram. Um, yeah. I did. And it honestly took me about, and this even actually followed me through to my architecture degree as well, but my architecture degree broke the habit. Um, I see. Because, and that's the beauty of being in a creative industry is that you, you know, you come to the realization that you, you can't do that. Like that's not actually going to ever get you to a breakthrough. So, you know, I had to kind of stop doing it and not be afraid. A lot of it's fear. A lot of people wrote, learn or copy out of fear of timelines of not doing something that looks right or looks good. And, um, you know, that's, that's really hard to overcome. So if you had to take the test today, given you're the CEO of this company, how would you do? Are you learning it or are you just mostly the, you know, above all that stuff? I'm the guinea pig. Okay, you are. <laughs> company, myself and a couple of our engineers. Um, so our academics team, um, they write these kind of micro lessons. Yeah. And yeah, we all, we all do it in-house. Um, so are you learning, Wiz? <laughs> getting there, getting there. Really? Kind of learning those micro skills. Wow. <laughs> so, no, I I do have kind of very much left and right brain, and this probably mm-hmm. is kind of training from architecture as well. So yeah. you know, I'm I try and have a mix, and it's probably why I was always deeper into UX and experience design than mm-hmm. um, visual design or kind of something that's a little more pure on the creative. So yeah, systems thinker. <laughs> okay, beautiful. Okay, so I got two more questions for you. Uh, looking externally down the horizon a little bit, what opportunities are you seeing for every day and what kind of threats that are you aware of? Great question. So I really want to have an impact in families that haven't been able to tr- have traditionally access tutoring and supplemental education that can help their kids succeed. You know, that's an overarching goal that we have in the company. To do that, I 100% believe that we can use technology to create a digital assistant, firstly for high school um, and from ninth grade through to 12th grade and up into college or career, but then expanding that out into college, into adult education, even into you know K through eight market as well. So digital tutor for everybody. Um, we'd sometimes call it a digital Aristotle. You know, Aristotle was your companion who knew everything <laughs> and could help you whatever you needed. Um, so, you know, kind of, that's part of the vision, the digital Aristotle. The other thing we talk about is building a learning genome for each student. So every student's fundamentally different and we can assess their performance data across academic subjects. Um, if they do well in the SAT, that should absolutely impact what they see with their ACT or with their algebra or with something else. You know, we need to have this interoperable system. Um, and so that comes from building a learning genome. So that's that's the big, big vision and big goal. I think right now there's a lot of discussion about will the SAT even exist in a few years? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's college admission scandals and even COVID-19. <laughs> some of the exams have right. been postponed. Um, 
I do believe it will be. Um, a lot of high schools use the SAT as an as an exit exam, so not just an entrance exam into college. Um, and we're always going to have some form of standardized testing. But for us, I, I think, you know, kind of we'll move beyond that fairly rapidly um, and then kind of get into other subjects. So probably the biggest threat is just, you know, existential existential kind of threats of right. of the industry. Those are big threats, though. Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah. Have some uh, plans. <laughs> don't, don't you think that uh, high schools should just buy bulk subscriptions for their students and just make that part of the education? Because if you think about <laughs> yeah. it, I mean, schools, um, they need to be measured. They, they, they need to be held accountable for something. So if they have a large portion of students performing really well in their SAT and get into good universities later on, it just looks good for them. And, yeah. Yeah. Right. Because I, I thought about this before. Yes. High school is important to learn lots of different subjects. But ultimately, the one measure that is kind of universally accepted is how do you do on your SAT scores? And and then GPA is subjective, depending on how hard they grade at that school. Right. But right. if they have very high SAT scores, shouldn't the whole entire program be designed around teaching you math and vocabulary skills so that you can excel? And so why wouldn't they adopt this? So. You're president now. Yeah. What's your campaign? Uh, <laughs> um, your, your campaign stump sound like? Or so we're you know? actually going direct to parents. Um, direct to and parents. there's a reason why we're not going yet to districts and schools. Um, you know, it's not something we would rule out. But the district and school sales cycle is very, very long. Um, so getting into these institutions and getting it adopted. The other thing that we kept thinking about was if you sell to a district, the district has to sell to the principal, who has to sell to the teachers, who has to sell to the parents, who has to sell to the students. Um, so you have this very kind of long chain of people who have to buy into your product in order yes. to have it used. Um, we took the view that the sooner that we could get it into the hands of parents and students and really understand how it's working and really kind of prove the efficacy, uh, the better it was going to be. So I'm such a big believer in any kind of, in any business, but also particularly in creative, create, creative endeavors to get as close to the customer as possible um, and to really be able to, you know, kind of address their needs and build the product through some of their needs. Uh, so that's the view that we took. But in mm. the future, absolutely. I mean, once, once we prove the efficacy on the ground, then bulk subscriptions all the way. <laughs> We're also actually working with nonprofits in that way as well. Um, so we're starting to work with nonprofits to give them bulk um, discounts too. So for now, it sounds to me like you're cutting out the, the the bureaucracy and the red tape and going straight to the parents, and which is one layer above the student. But maybe that's your Trojan horse, where the parents fall in love with this and start demanding their schools or principals to say, like, why isn't this just part of the program? We all pay our taxes Shouldn't this be the thing? And it's not a ton of money. And, and buying in bulk would probably make it very mm -hmm. affordable for the schools. I yep. totally get it. So, okay, kudos to you and good luck to what you're doing. And I, I hope that everybody that's listening to this is getting some ideas as to how we can change as a community, a society to improve learning and to model ourselves after the best learning experiences and use technology and leverage that and not to be afraid of it. Like I, I'm, I'm, not, I don't want to use the word worry, but I'm concerned about the future of universities, the mm -hmm. rising cost of tuition, the debt that everybody's getting into. Let alone whether or not SAT scores are are biased towards, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of bias built into it. 
and whether or not they're they're great measures of anything. Okay, so having said all that stuff, I just love what you're doing here, and I wish you the very best. Is there any last thoughts that you have you want to share with us? Oh, thank you, Chris. Um, you know, kind of thanks for interviewing me. I think one thing is um, for your listeners out there, we are also doing an equity crowdfunding raise on WeFunder. Um, this Ooh. is where investors can invest as little as $500 in our company and get a stake. Um, so it's a little bit like Kickstarter, except instead of getting a product or a t-shirt, you get an actual piece of our company. Um, so that's wefunder.com every day, E-V-E-R-Y-D-A-E. And yeah, if anybody's interested there, I'm answering questions there as well. And yeah, happy to talk to people about it. Great. So you're going to go to wefunder.com and you're going to find every day and every day is spelled every and then days d-a-e and you're going to find out about this okay so and and also for parents that are wondering what to do with their kids right now if the school hasn't reacted quickly enough which i'm pretty sure is the case if you're concerned about sat go to everyday.com and check out the program the program right now is free and you even have an opportunity to to win 500 and the code for that is of course win 500 so check it out so christine thank you very much for coming on the show chris it's a pleasure thank you I'm Christine Utrum, and you're listening to The Future. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. If you're new to The Future and want to know more about our educational mission, visit thefuture.com. You'll find more podcast episodes, hundreds of YouTube videos, and a growing collection of online courses and products covering design and business. Oh, and we spell the future with no E. The Future Podcast is hosted by Christo and produced by me, Greg Gunn. This episode was mixed and edited by Anthony Barrow, with intro music by Adam Sanborn. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor and rate and review us on iTunes. It's a tremendous help in getting our message out there, and, you know, it lets us know what you like. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>